Welcome to Finding Your Identity, the podcast about helping you find your identity. This episode is going to be all about side hustles, and there are a ton of them. There's a lot of things you can do on the side as a side job, a second job, a side hustle, what have you. There's tons of names for it. But um, as you've heard in previous podcasts, I've, I've had my share of side hustles. And, you know, of course, I'm going to cover eBay in this one, among others. Um, but for my intro story, I, I wanted to uh, get into a little of the background that I had when I was cleaning houses with my grandmother um, because she cleaned houses for very wealthy people. And it always led to some interesting experiences. Um, there's you know a ton of stories I could could spit off top of my head from that experience in my own experience and her experience because there's just a lot of interesting things that happen when you're working for wealthy people and things you 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 learn about but um there was um a couple times when i was cleaning houses that i i had some i guess you could say like interesting experiences with uh some of the the characters that that you meet along the way but kind of some background when I was younger and I was and I say younger I was I want to say I was maybe 10 or 11 and my my grandmother you know said you want to come work with me and uh, you know help clean some houses I'll teach you how to to do some cleaning and I said sure why not um, and she's like oh and I'll give you 25 bucks an hour and I'm like okay <laughs> like how many hours are we talking here and she said you know at least four hours sometimes it's like six hours and so I, I remember going and that's back as far as I can remember I think she said she had brought me a couple times when I was younger I probably was a baby sometimes when she might have just been um you know uh working with my my mother because it seemed at, at some point or another many members of my family went to work with my grandmother to help clean houses well before I was born. Um, and it was always, you know, just an extra side hustle for these these uh, other people to, to make some extra money. And it was decent money. I mean, she was getting paid a lot. I mean, I, I, I think she was getting, um, no, I think when she actually retired, she was making $100 an hour um, cleaning houses for this uh, this one lady that um you know basically didn't want to lose her so just kept offering to pay her more per hour and you know to the to the number of a hundred <laughs> you know a hundred dollars an hour that was the the number that got my grandmother to stick around but you know it was always it was always interesting um just because you know it, it, you're in somebody else's house and you're you're working for somebody else um, and so you, you never really know like what to expect. And I, I didn't remember running into any of the owners of these houses very often. Um, 
except for when my grandmother retired and I took over for her for this one uh, lady and um, I got fired in an unusual manner. Uh, I I was in college and I was finishing up college and I knew I couldn't continue with it. But the the phone call was just kind of a bizarre one where she she essentially called me up and said, um, you know, I've uh, changed my perspective or something to that effect for how I wish to run the house going forward, um, which essentially to me meant that she was looking for uh, a maid to travel with her when when they came up from New York to Connecticut. So, you know, I I wasn't about to live with them. Uh, So (laughs) I'm like, yeah, no, I understand. And it was, you know, good while it lasted. Um, I think at the time, yeah, I think I was making 50 bucks an hour doing that. So that was a pretty, pretty sweet side hustle. Um, at 50 bucks an hour, it's a lot. And, and, you know, when you're cleaning the houses, um, you're potentially working about six hours. These houses were huge. I mean, the house I was cleaning was 12,000 square feet. Um, so it, it would take a while. Um, I mean, it was 12,000 square feet of a lot of space, but there was still several rooms. There was like a full gym in the basement. The house had an addition that, which was essentially an entire other house, which was for their guests, like a guest house that was attached. They had like a game room that had like pool table and foosball and um, stuff like that, which then went into the other house, which is a whole nother house. So sometimes I had to clean that. Sometimes I didn't because it depended if they had anyone come up and, and stay in that. But anyways, it was really, it was always interesting. That was actually the, the same same people that they owned another house. They had bought this house, but they owned this other house that had a little apple orchard. And I remember I'd work with my grandmother and we'd we'd finish up cleaning the house and she'd say, okay, go pick out some apples and, uh, you know, I'll use them to make an apple pie tonight. So that was, that was cool because you could go essentially pick whatever apples you wanted. I mean, I'd go pick 10, 12 apples. She's like, pick some to take home, you know, because they essentially would just go bad. Um, cause they'd, they'd end up falling off the tree and rotting. Um, so, you know, the owner encouraged people to pick the apples, um, when they were there so my grandmother would always tell me to go pick them and it was always nice because we'd get our fresh apples then go home and we'd make an apple pie or she'd bake an apple pie and I'd you know be picking at the apples as they were covered in uh, cinnamon and sugar and just so sweet but you know they they had this that was behind their like pool house that that was kind of a I guess that was a little bit smaller of a house, but still a pretty, pretty big house. I mean, I want to say it had like five bedrooms and probably five bathrooms. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of an interesting shape because it was bar, it had like a silo in the, in the kind of in the center uh, of the house. I don't know, doing a terrible job trying to ex- uh, describe this house, explain what it looks like. But um, anyway, so, you know, that was just one of them that, I remember, you know, working for, and there was, uh, this other house that I remember my, my grandmother, uh, had, had brought me to, because sometimes it was, it was, you know, extra money, but I would try to 
to help her like a couple days during the week. And this was during the summertime when I was out of school. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd be, I'd spend the night for a couple days and like she'd have different houses she cleaned on different days. I think there was only one house that she'd actually go back to, you know, twice in a week. That was the house where they were paying her a hundred bucks an hour. They just had like higher demands for for the cleaning because it was a it was a big house and there and there, there were two people that were living there full time. Most of the other houses that I would help clean were uh, second houses, you know, country houses. These people lived in New York and then came up for the weekend, so they weren't occupied when we would clean them. You know, it it made me think of uh, you know one of the weird stories that she told me about a couple that were kind of odd. I, I remember actually meeting the, these people one time when I was cleaning that this house, and this house was um, pretty decent sized house, but it, it actually I think it took us, um, for, you know, generally speaking, four to five hours to clean this one. It didn't take quite as long to do the other house and, and four to five hours was doing like pretty thorough cleaning like sometimes if they didn't come up it was really just dusting um vacuuming the floors and and kind of doing uh you know less of a thorough thorough job because they hadn't come up because a lot of what the work was was you know you first get there and it was like get all the laundry started which meant go strip all the beds that people slept in get the laundry going my job was always vacuuming you know that's how i'd uh, essentially um that's how i'd spend most of my time was doing you know the vacuuming and and you know then i get to a point where i'd i'd have to you know maybe help with uh like folding the laundry putting stuff away but that was like really what my my grandmother would do she would just be um you know she'd get all the laundry started and then she'd start um scrubbing like the sinks and and toilets and bathtubs and and you know if I finished vacuuming sooner then I'd have to go find a bathroom that was that still needed to be done and I'd work on those sometimes there'd be rooms where she had to do some some dusting or polishing like with wood polish some of the the wood um furniture or dressers or something you know so I'd I'd be kind of trying to to work to catch up to her for the room because we'd kind of both take care of doing the polishing and then and vacuuming but anyway so she she had told me this uh story of this one house because i wasn't actually there at the time but she told me that they they came in for the weekend really quick and kind of unexpected and they called her up and they said sorry you know we had to leave in a rush would you be able to go up and and clean up after us it's, it's kind of a mess i hope you don't mind you know we'll pay you extra she's like certainly i'll go up there that's no problem and so she she goes up there and she goes into their their master bedroom and she <laughs> she finds it's a mess but not the kind of mess that she would expect because there were um there were things out apparatuses that were out that um you know were for for bedroom activities and there was a plate of jello on the bed and then she looked up and she noticed that there was jello stuck to the ceiling. There was, you know, some lacy lingerie laying around. And, and she just, she had really no clue what was going on. Because she told me this after and she's like, what could they possibly have been 
thinking? Why would they throw jello at the ceiling? And, you know, like, what were they doing with these things? As she described, like, you know, these long objects that you turn on and it was battery powered and, and, and it, you know, sweet and innocent <laughs> grandmother trying to describe uh, something like that was just man my my head was was exploding and i was just cracking up just thinking wow man you like <laughs> you're lucky you don't you don't have the internet or you don't care about the internet because if you started googling this stuff you'd be in trouble i'll tell you but it was just really funny to me and it's like you know and of course i can't really even well i i knew i i do know their last names to the people but i obviously can't say that but it was just funny because it was just one of those you know stories that that she had told me and i just thought wow you know there's some interesting people and and there was definitely some some very bizarre people that i had met occasionally um there were some that were very interesting there was this guy who was a doctor i remember like i used to clean his house and he had very ornate spanish architecture in his house and his place was a pretty cool place to clean although it was really dated like really like straight out of like the 70s maybe late 60s early 70s and the spanish architecture and these shag kind of dark yellow rugs but uh it definitely was interesting but he was such a nice guy you know he's always always asking how i was and wanted to know you know how i was doing in school and and so i'd i'd generally chat with him for a few minutes sometimes because he would sometimes be in town and he didn't make it awkward at all to be cleaning like sometimes you know some of these other places if there was somebody who was in town they'd leave because they just thought it was awkward just standing around watching somebody clean their house but you know this guy was cool and like he'd talk and you know i'd be um dusting or something like that and i was able to have a conversation with him and you know he was uh a world-renowned doctor in something i want to say um he was a foot doctor something with uh, podiatry or, or maybe orthopedics but um yeah anyways um that's my story for day today and that's my uh, side hustle story and i have more stories related to when i was cleaning houses but i'll save those for other other episodes but i'm gonna jump into this uh, jam-packed episode about side hustles in a minute. Welcome back to Finding Your Identity. This is episode 10. You know, that means we made it to 10 so far. If you follow math correctly, if you're a mathematician, you can figure out, you know, if you count the other episodes that have been released so far. This is 10. I'm not lying. I I did the math before this with pencil. And this episode is going to be about side hustles. And I'm going to try to to get into some details because I think it's, it's very interesting when you think about you know side hustles that are available today you know actually i'll start with side hustles that i did when i was a kid because i've always been hustling i feel like i've always been hustling to do something to make a little bit of extra cash as i told in my story starting when i was you know 9 10 11 12 i was doing cleaning with my grandmother for rich people making 25 bucks an hour at minimum 
And that was my first side hustle that I did. But one of the other ones that I used to do, which I think is your quintessential side hustle when you're, you know, early teens is shoveling driveways or mowing lawns, you know. I didn't actually mow lawns. Uh, like, I did mow lawns for my grandfather, as uh, I would do during the summertime. I'd help him. Uh, you know, again, I would be going to my grandparents' house and staying there. So sometimes I'd go to work with my grandmother to clean houses, and other times I'd go to work with my grandfather to help him mow lawns because I'd run the, the string trimmer or weed whacker, um, or I'd have to run the small mower to get into some, to areas where he couldn't get with the larger mower. Um you know, so so I was doing that. I also, as I mentioned in the previous episode, um, worked on the farm, which was was technically a side hustle. But when I was you know growing up, it was is easy to go out during a snowstorm and and just show up at someone's door and say, "Do you want me to shovel your driveway for twenty bucks?" Which in hindsight was a freaking steal. But you know, I'd go out there and I would shovel driveways for for hours. I remember once. There was this one big storm. I think we got at least a foot and a half to two feet of snow. And it was, you know, it was a perfect opportunity to be a holy crap. That was a, a, a long day because we went out there. I think this was the, the day after and it had snowed through the night. And we went out first thing in the morning, you know, like seven, eight o'clock in the morning. We were out there and we start hitting up some of our elderly neighbors that we knew were awake and ask him if we wanted to shovel because it was, you know, it was just nicer. And we'd say, okay, you know, 20 bucks will do your driveway, you know, or 10 bucks will, will do your your front steps and your, your sidewalk. You know, essentially it was, it was just doing some, some uh, you know, some kind of shoveling of, of something on their property. And, you know, we, we'd get that 20 bucks. Sometimes we'd even get like a tip at the end, you know, we'd get an extra five bucks from somebody if they were nice. Um, then there were times where it was like, we had to be, you know, do it perfectly. (laughs) So we'd be told that, you know, we need to, to make sure that we gave, uh, you know, two feet extra on each side of the driveway, like into the grass, like, which was kind of nuts. And, you know, we just avoided that house the next time around. But, I, I just remember we were out there and we we did a ton of houses. I think we walked away, you know, because we, we'd say, you know, it'd be 20 bucks, right? So it was 10 bucks a piece for, for two of us going out there, you know, so we'd have to do at least 10 houses to make 100 bucks. But, you know, I want to say we, we did 20 houses that during that storm. Some of them were easier than others. Some of them were on slopes. Some of them weren't directly in the sun. So it hadn't like kind of melted down and made the snow a little bit thicker. Um, so we would be out there and we'd be shoveling the snow and we, you know, we made probably close to $200 total. So we each walked away with a hundred bucks versus us, you know, only making a hundred dollars total, but that was great. Like that was a great takeaway, but you know, we had to pay for our, our music albums, you know, games, any kind of games, you know, video games that we wanted at the time. Uh, essentially that was like one of the, the, the main side hustles when I was at that age. So I think that the, um, you know, little hustles like that, like shoveling snow, mowing lawns, you know, that's great when you're a kid, but, you know, I think people want to know what to do now. So let me get to the meat of this, you know, I'll jump right into, 
eBay or Amazon because I did it for for a year and you know I I was successful enough at it to you know make enough extra money while I was in college that it seemed to work out but quickly realized that it wasn't really gonna be an effective means of income so that was was that 10 10 years ago I think yeah somewhere around that maybe it was, it was in 2008 yeah what are we in 2019 yeah about 10 years <laughs> let's just say so things have changed and I started to kind of like really think about how to kind of present this because it's a side hustle it's you know I, I don't want to give people the wrong information but it's never certain or guaranteed and I think part of it is why people do it as um, something on the side because they they have full-time jobs and it's really just meant to be supplemental income so that's my disclaimer that it's you know something that I would encourage people to research and and look into before starting but they could use this for supplemental income and you know eBay um, looking at um, this site webretailer.com um, they, they have some survey and statistical information. And, you know, they, they say that, you know, 34.3% of eBay sellers make under $10,000 per year. Um, whereas, I guess, on compared to Amazon, it's 9% per, you know, or 9% of Amazon sellers are making less than $10,000 per year. So that could be that, you know, if you think about it, it's it's signaling that Amazon might be the better place to sell. I, I don't, can't, I can't say that. I have empirical evidence to prove that, but I would say that it's probably safe to say that um, you should be distributing your, you, you know, your selling between those sites, mainly because you don't want to get stuck selling on one platform versus the other, and you know have it turn out that something happens with that one channel of selling and you don't have a backup or you don't have a way to distribute your sales you know uh, divide your sales just say um, distribute them evenly between a couple different platforms i'd even go to the extent of saying you know if you can sell this stuff through etsy if you can build your own website and also sell through there and you know create a, a network of distributing your products that way you know i think one of the mistakes that i made was i relied you know too heavily on ebay and i had problems where i got my account suspended for stupid reasons and then i basically my income stream was cut off and i'd be in trouble for however long i was suspended sometimes it was like a three-day suspension there were other times where i had no idea how long the suspension was going to last um, because i had to have my account re-reviewed and you know i did use that as kind of a, a reason for me to think that i needed to go out and build my own website and you know the story about that which turned out to be a mistake but only because i just didn't i guess do enough research or plan well enough to actually hire the right company to give me what I really needed. So I'd say though that as a side hustle, selling on eBay or Amazon is potentially a good um, option. Now I did find somebody who had um, some some 
information about how they were leveraging uh, eBay to sell products. Um, they actually talked about a good strategy, which uh, you know in this day and age is um, really what you need in order to be successful when you're selling online. You need you need a good strategy because so many people are doing it. Um, you know they they make note of of um, leveraging arbitrage, which is buying low, selling high. They do it in the stock market all the time. You know, it's done frequently with currency trading where you're basically trying to buy, you know, the U.S. dollar when it's at a certain value that's higher than um, the euro or something like that. But, you know, you're when you're making that purchase, there's these small differences in between the values and you're, you're making your profits off of those small values um, when it comes to selling products it's essentially finding it for fifty dollars and selling it for a hundred dollars which is an extreme example but that's what you know working arbitrage is like and he um, this guy had mentioned that what he did was he he actually was buying products from Walmart and Target and Best Buy that were items that were in the clearance section and you know taking the clearance items and then turning around and flipping them and selling them on ebay and you know making a decent profit Um, another method that people um, could use and this is just me kind of coming off the top of my head as i'm thinking about it is you know potentially you might find something at a consignment shop you know because he does mention that he found this vintage uh, jacket that was Ralph Lauren that he bought for 15 bucks and sold for almost $2,000. Now imagine that. I mean, that's a huge profit margin there. It's not common. It's, it's a rare find, but there might be an opportunity to find something at a consignment shop. You know, some people go tag sailing. Uh, I have cousins that actually go and find, um, you know, antique type items and you know vintage type items and they they resell um through etsy or a website which i actually incidentally built them um but they sell things that are you know quote unquote vintage and they they make a decent profit margin off of it because i mean you could find something for five bucks at an antique i'm sorry at a tag sale call it antique turn around and sell it for 50 bucks online you know, you never know what people's tastes are going to be. So you, you got to kind of get out there and, and give it a try. Now, you know, segueing into Etsy, um, Etsy, you know, there's it's hard to find the actual numbers about how many people, how much people are actually making um, specifically on Etsy. Um, but I did see um, some numbers regarding how much it's going to end up costing you. Uh, you, you know, I guess per per item. So it costs twenty cents to publish a listing, and then once it's sold, there's a five percent transaction fee. So um, you know, you got to kind of do the math out. I mean, I had a, a spreadsheet that I had put together on eBay because eBay, again, same thing, and, and Amazon is you're going to have fees that are associated. You know, you're going to have the fee to potentially pay when you list it. You're gonna have a fee if it sells. Generally, it's a percentage of what the sale price is. Then you got a fee for handling the, the payment processing. So if it's PayPal, it's three about three percent. Um, you know, so you got to kind of add all this stuff up. You you pay ten bucks for the item, then you got to back out all these costs and figure 
to to make any profit you need to sell that thing for like 25 bucks to walk away with like you know a five dollar profit or something to that effect that that number is really rough (laughs) but you kind of get the idea that you start thinking oh if i'm gonna sell on ebay yeah i can buy something for 10 bucks but i really do need to sell it for for 25 to 30 bucks to make any kind of profit to make it worth it um you know and that's if you are um, finding it that it's it's not super heavy and you can get away with cheap, uh, shipping it for cheap. Like I, with my eBay business, was able to ship items for a buck twenty five or a buck thirty five or whatever it was because I was under the um, thirteen ounces, so I could send it first class mail. Um, you know, or and that was still getting it delivered within two to three days, depending on the location. If it was Hawaii, I think it was five um, or, or Alaska, but. You know, you, you got to also figure out how are you going to handle shipping. You got to put together a little manufacturing um, assembly line or whatever you want to call it where, for packaging stuff up like I did, you know, because you, if you're selling a lot of little products, you're most likely going to be shipping a lot of little products every day. So, you know, you got to figure out what you can do as pre-work to get stuff packaged up ahead of time so that it's it's ready to go. And all you got to do is slap a shipping label on it and, it, and send it out the door. But, you know, Etsy is known for, you know, selling like handmade things or vintage things and the way that their reputation has has been built up, you know, they, they kind of help promote your stuff because somebody might actually go on to Etsy looking for for handmade jewelry and they may go not Google it, Google being so synonymous with search. They may search it through Etsy. So it's directly through Etsy's website, it's through their search engine built into their website it it'll search through the listings it'll search through all the stores and it may come up with you know handmade jewelry at 20 different locations and then you can filter maybe you want something close because maybe that person has a retail shop nearby or you're thinking i don't want to pay so much for shipping it'd be nice if they're in the same state as me or same region or you know it just might be so hard to find that you don't mind paying the extra shipping for it but you know either way it's it's just one of those things that you know you you're leveraging a platform to kind of help you like ebay and amazon and etsy they're all major well-known platforms so they're going to help you from that perspective but you're going to pay for it because you're going to you're going to end up having to fork over transaction fees listing fees payment processing fees you know all that stuff has to be factored in so if you're going to have that that ebay business or that amazon business or etsy business you you really gotta kind of do the math out to find out what's your you know break-even point and and at what point does it make it profitable when you think of it when it's compounded amongst a lot of items that you're trying to sell because you you really need to to make it worthwhile you really need enough items to sell consistently to make it regular income you know unless you're just trying to get rid of crap from your basement or your attic um, and then you just go on ebay then you really don't care what you're selling it for because you're just happy to get rid of it but if you're trying to make a business out of it you really got to consider how much it's going to cost you to to handle that that um product and to ship that product you know and and then you got to get paid and how much it's going to cost to pay the payment processing vendor so all these things you need to need to consider so next the um 
biggest common, most well-known side hustle that's come into light in the past couple of years is, is Uber or Lyft. But essentially these ride-sharing services where regular people can say, I've got a car and I've got some time. I'm going to drive people around to where they need to go. And you've got the Ubers and the Lyfts that are actually providing that platform, again, similar to eBay and Etsy, where it's established. It's uh, So you don't have to, to deal with the marketing aspect of it. You know, there are some things you need to, to recognize about it. I mean, first, you have to... You have to pass a background check if you're going to be a driver. Uh, I mean, actually, I'd say first, you need a driver's license. Second, you need a car, and it needs to be somewhat reliable, and it needs to be something that you're willing to put miles on and increase increase your, your regular maintenance visits because it's now become a tool of your trade. So you got to factor that in. So if you think you're going to go buy a brand new car to go do this, you got to really do the math out and figure out if it's worth it because it may not be, you know, you know, I think there's some standards that you have to meet in order to drive. You can't have the, the hoopty, you know, the, the rusted Pinto or whatever old car you can remember from when you were young, but, or that, that Brown station wagon with the panel sides, you know, you can't really operate in something that's that's not um, safe. Let's say you know that doesn't maybe doesn't have seatbelts. It needs to have seatbelts. It needs to meet all the safety standards, pass inspection and emissions, and all that fun stuff. You know, but say you do, you've just got a car, and you're like, hey, you know what? I work full time. I've got a decent car. I want to do this as a side gig. Now, you know, looking into what they're providing, uh, you know, what information you, you can find on their websites. You know, they they claim that Uber drivers take home about $25 an hour and Lyft drivers can make as much as $35 an hour. Um, there's obviously a similar transaction fee associated with it, which they call a booking fee that, you know, both Lyft and Uber take different amounts of the booking fee. But they they claim they don't take more than a twenty five percent commission, although that's been somewhat disproven according to some of the drivers. So again, you kind of have to balance it out. But if you think you know you're going to average about twenty bucks an hour, you know that that's kind of how you can use that as a benchmark. Although there is there is you know one uh, reference to um, a survey they did in twenty fifteen that said that. Um, some people were only making about you know eight or nine bucks an hour in a big city like Detroit, but that that doesn't necessarily mean that's everywhere. And there are different factors involved because there's surge pricing, which I believe both Uber and Lyft charge, and they you know do that based on the increased demand. So if all of a sudden there's a big spike in demand, they are going to up their 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 costs or you know the cost to to get a ride which is directly reflected in how much the the uber driver will make i actually saw something that that said that there were uber drivers in a particular area who were all in cahoots with each other that were all essentially um waiting close by for a signal to turn off their apps to say that they were unavailable to drive 
and then that was actually causing the surge pricing to kick in because there was less cars and more people um so that was triggering like the algorithm and then somebody you know one person was watching on it and saw the price get up to a certain amount and then everyone turned it back on and then started going out to collect fares and they were getting you know they were gaming the system to actually make more for the fares per fare and you know I think that's only going to last for so long for for you. So I wouldn't rely on that. I'd try to figure out what the your average amount is, but let's you know let's just say that it is it is between twenty and thirty dollars an hour. Um, you can kind of do your math out to figure out if it's worth it. You know, if you're working nine to five, that means you're going to have to be driving, you know, potentially six to who knows what time you decide you want to go to bed and be home. But let's just say it's six to 10. So there's that four hour window, right? And you're making, let's just say you're making the the 20 bucks an hour, right? (laughs) You know, like that's only, it's only $80. Like that's, that's not a lot of money, I guess, but it's, it's 80 extra dollars you made in that one day. I guess, you know, if you compound that, um, you do that two days a week, you know, now that's $160. So maybe that's worth it. I'm just providing the information. I'm not suggesting that you do this, but it's, it's an interesting side hustle that's out there. There's also, uh, many businesses popping up now around delivery services because Amazon has gotten so big with having the facilities closer and closer to to people like they, they're distributing their distribution centers across the country in a manner that allows people to have a side hustle now where they actually deliver Amazon packages so uh, you know looking at that one you can actually make somewhere between $14 an hour to to $25 an hour. And it seems that, you know, that one's going to be a little bit better and and more efficiently planned out, I should say, because Amazon's really good with how they kind of can um, provide tools for you. So essentially, you'd be at your central package office and you'd pick up your series of packages your set of packages for the day and you'd be you know getting ready to deliver and you'd you'd essentially get a, a map um and a guidance route of of what's the most efficient way to deliver that so you don't backtrack i mean this is what ups and and fedex have been doing for for many years is they've been essentially cutting down the amount of backtracking that that uh delivery driver would have to do so that you're not wasting gas you're not wasting time you're you're operating more efficiently so imagining that amazon does do something like that you know you figure you're probably staying within a 50 mile radius i'm i'm just kind of saying this off the top of my head i'm, I'm kind of guessing i did look up the facts specifically it does say between 14 to 26 dollars an hour is the average range um, that you're going to make in terms of of your hourly rate pay and you know that you can expect to make about $33,000 a year um, as an Amazon delivery driver but in terms of other costs that you really have to calculate like the wear and tear on your car and then gas and and stuff like that I'm you know I'm speculating that that if it's within the 50 mile radius you're probably not driving more than than at least 50 miles one way you know 
during one day. So you kind of do your math out, whatever that works out to be at, at what is it now, $4 a gallon where I am for gas? You know, I, I don't know. Depends on where you are. But you got to kind of weigh that stuff out because that, you know, $33,000 a year is only going to be specific to the salary you're, not make, you're making and not covering the costs. So, of course, when it comes to having these extra expenses and these costs, you know, for whatever side hustle you're thinking about working on, but specifically with doing deliveries, you got to figure it out. Is it worth it? You got to do the math out. Same as if you're looking to sell something online is the extra added expenses that are on top of, you know, the cost of doing business. Is it worth it for you? So these are things you got to consider. Now, in the same vein as deliveries, Amazon deliveries, which by the way, it's interesting now you see all the people um, that are delivering in rented trucks. So that that's also something else that you should factor in because potentially you don't want to wear down your car, uh, but how much are you willing to spend extra for an enterprise van or something to that effect so you can make your deliveries? You know, So that, that's one option. Now, the other type of delivery service is DoorDash or Uber Eats where you're delivering food. You're not necessarily delivering packages from Amazon, but you decide that maybe that's the side hustle you want to work. Now, straight off of DoorDash's website, they have information that says, you know, um, hey, if you want to earn extra cash, maybe during the busy holiday season, you know, take advantage of people ordering in more than usual, and you can just pick a preferred day and, and list what, type of hours you want to work what what are the number of hours you want to work and you can earn up to uh, earn up to $25 an hour doing food deliveries now they they even go to the extent to say hey if you don't have a car we don't care if you use a bicycle or you walk or use a, a scooter or a motorcycle they you know they they just want you to deliver food for them now one of the diff- big differences though with food delivery is you have to go to the restaurant, pick it up, and then go to the customer's house. And that's one order. So it's going to be a lot harder to plan out some kind of efficient route. So you can't exactly plan your day accordingly. But on you know the flip side of that, you're generally going to be within your, your town or if you happen to drive to another town because they have more options for for doing delivery you're probably you know generally speaking going to be in in one area that's probably within a 10 to 15 mile radius is my guess so you would be spending you know less gas theoretically be a little less wear and tear on your vehicle or scooter or bicycle if that's your preference i guess if you're living in a city that that could be practical i guess if you're living in a city it could be practical to walk i mean they say hey you could even walk too that that's an option and since that's the business that that they're in i'm kind of surprised amazon doesn't offer this but i didn't dig in further into this subject but doordash provides information up front but they offer you know auto auto uh, liability insurance and they have, you know, driver 
protection. They even say that dashers are protected from rude or threatening customers by their employment policy, uh, any unruly behavior, bodily injury, or threat that's prompted um, that's promptly reported back to DoorDash is swiftly and responsibly dealt with in accordance with local laws. Doesn't necessarily mean anything is going to happen, but they have a policy written down, right? So that makes it real. You know, that that's potentially something that uh, could give you comfort in knowing that, that that maybe is a side hustle for you. Now, granted, in a scenario where you're doing the delivery for DoorDash or you're doing Amazon deliveries or you're driving for Uber or Lyft, like your cut of the big pie is going to be a lot less. So, you know, selling on Etsy or eBay or Amazon, your own products under your own, um, you know, marketing plan and and product delivery plan and whatnot, you'll be able to, to yield better efficiencies in that business and potentially make more profit and probably get a lot more of the profits to yourself because you're controlling a lot more of the pipeline, let's call it. Um, whereas when you consider Amazon has done a lot of the legwork for you, well, pretty much all the legwork for you, you know, figuratively speaking, because, you know, all you are doing for them is the the literal legwork for them, or you're taking the product that they've already marketed and sold and gotten through their distribution channels into a facility and then you're just you know taking it the final steps to get it to the customer's door so you're a little bit smaller piece of the puzzle there so of course you're not going to be making as much of uh the piece of the pie you, you know to try and keep running with this pun or metaphor but um you know, so you got to consider that as a factor too. But it's easier to get into. You know, the the cost of of um, or, or the um, barrier to entry. That's the word I was looking for. The barrier to entry is lower for something like that because there's so much established ahead of it that you don't have to. You just basically need to apply and meet the minimum requirements, and then you're up and running. You know, you're trying to go out and start an eBay business or an Etsy business and there's going to be a higher barrier to entry there because that's, you know, there's going to be a lot more work that you need to put in in order to make that happen and make that work. Those are all things to consider. Uber Eats has similar um, availability. Obviously, that's through Uber, uh, same one that does the, the delivery. Maybe you could work it out so that you're driving Uber and doing Uber Eats. So, you know, you've, you've kind of split your side hustle you've got two of the side hustle uh factors going on for you maybe that that could work out for you so you could be driving people around and when it's slow you can be doing food deliveries who knows i mean that, that could be an option so everything's up for consideration in the in the side hustle business you know you could go open a lemonade stand for all i care <laughs> you know like that maybe that's an option i mean you know it it worked when you were a kid if you did that kind of stuff i shoveled driveways i didn't have a lemonade stand but you know that might have worked it might have been smarter because then i wouldn't have had to 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 go anywhere and walk so much although i probably would have drank all the profits so actually the last side hustle that i wanted to mention was um a t-shirt business and you know th- this is one of those kind of somewhat older 
been around longer type of businesses and you just gotta you gotta like put a lot of thought into this one though because i think you could do it really wrong and not get anywhere and then you end up with a lot of inventory that just is useless which is probably my first bit of advice is to find a way to test your ideas because you got to consider that with a t-shirt business you you really do need to um, put some thought into the t-shirt designs it, it feels that like it feels like that's the the first step it, you know and, and looking online I, I came across like kind of a uh, some top level categories for deciding, you know, how you're going to operate a t-shirt business and you've got design, quality, brand and inventory and those are the focus points and I'd say design is the, the biggest one, but you could maybe get by with some crappy designs, you know, and and even um to some degree like the quality doesn't have to be super great. Like I've gotten t-shirts that only lasted like few months and then the the letters started falling off although it was probably a thought like i'd never go back but they were they're probably t-shirts that i got from some event or something like that so quality is up there you know like if you could think things out you think okay i can make clever sentences i could put words together very cleverly so i'm gonna you know make a a t-shirt business where i sell catchphrases or something um you got to pick a vendor which can be be tricky because it can get it can get expensive and you got to consider that everything that you know you put in initially is going to be taken away from your profit margin so you have to consider all that again and and that's just getting the product made you know um you're you're coming up with the design and then you're getting this product made and now you've got a physical t-shirt in hand or 20 that you're going to sell you got to figure out maybe you're going to sell through etsy maybe you can sell it through ebay most likely you're going to be better off trying to sell it through your own personal website t-shirt business website so you got to put effort into building something you know maybe you can you know do a point and click type of website build building platform set up or whatever like wix wix which i i know people have done i mean you just need to get a basic website out with the the shopping cart layout and and be able to add items to the cart i i've seen people do it and actually help people put together sites to do it through wordpress Um, but that takes a little bit more knowledge but it's still pretty simple you know i i can spin those things up in a day where you essentially have a full running e-commerce website that you can add your inventory to and and add your t-shirts to that and have it linked to paypal so you've got your payment system and it's wordpress so it's super seo or search engine optimized super search engine optimized friendly super seo friendly Eh, that sentence doesn't make sense when you spell it out but um, you're ready to go in terms of keyword uh, efficiencies that you know you you need to make sure that you can get found in search engines because there's a ton of t-shirt sites out there then you got to figure out how you're going to market it because you got to get some kind of user base going you got to get people buying them Um, it could be that you're doing it viral and you're doing it local you know um uh what do they call it like grassroots so you're you're actually 
promoting it locally and maybe local events or you've got maybe you get some cheap business cards made incidentally i just had some made for this podcast to advertise this podcast and it was just 25 bucks for 500 and a pretty basic design and you know a, a nice quality um glossy card card stock or whatever you could you know advertise the business maybe that's all you you do to start is just to pass out the cards and you just get people going directly to your website you know to just kind of complete the transaction maybe you've got some samples you go to local carnivals or not carnivals fairs (laughs) i don't think a carnival is the best place oh maybe who knows but fair you know craft fair i'm thinking of or you know some kind of um seller's market type place where you can hang them and and people can walk through and see a booth and buy your t-shirts you know that could be one option um if you do really well at getting your your website optimized to show up in search uh, on google then you know you just have built your your big channel your organic channel as i call it so you've got uh, traffic coming through your website purchasing your your t-shirts but you just go that that's just kind of the beginning because what ends up happening is is you got to kind of start to plan out what do i do to handle the inventory because you can't just assume you're going to sell a thousand and you you can't necessarily have the cash flow right away to buy a thousand so you got to figure out a way to plan and plus if you're doing multiple designs and let's say you've got you know 20 designs which you think well that's not a lot and that maybe that's not enough you look at some of these major t-shirt companies they've got hundreds of designs but you got to consider for every one of those designs do you have a process in place to fulfill the order fast enough so if somebody somebody does say you have an option to have it you know be like two-day delivery for a t-shirt because somebody wants it in two days like are you gonna have the process set up so that you can actually get it made and delivered to a person in two days you know so that's where the inventory question comes into place like how much do you hold an inventory do you have one of every t-shirt you know, because you figure you're going to sell about one of every t-shirt a month, you know, or at the very least in in the course of 12 months, you know, you figure you'd sell at least one of every t-shirt. So you, you'd initially purchase just one of each, but then you don't get the efficiencies of buying in bulk. So, you know, you got to consider a lot of times those discounts are for a hundred, you know, so can you afford to buy a hundred, you know, like a lot of these little things that you got to think about, um, that I think people don't think about when they they think of these side hustles and getting these side hustles started. So what I'd recommend in this scenario is to start off small. And if you come up with 10 solid ideas and you just buy a domain for 12 bucks through Google Domains or 15 bucks through some other place at the most, you you shouldn't pay more than, really shouldn't pay more than, than 10 or 12 bucks for a domain knowing that google domains are 12 bucks buy your domain that's your initial cost um you know you get your setup your setup uh for hosting which could be five bucks a month uh you know give or take i mean you could probably get up with hosting 
if you went did everything through GoDaddy, you could probably spend about a hundred bucks and be up running for the first year with hosting and a WordPress site. Um, maybe even less. Maybe it's around maybe it's like sixty. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't go that route because I obviously build websites myself. But if you're new to the game, you could probably do this to GoDaddy and get a lot of the help through the system that the GoDaddy provides. But essentially, you get a site um, set up, and then but you gotta you know find a theme but you can find free themes you can find free themes to wordpress you could find themes to like theme forest but you essentially get your your site set up you got something to to sell uh through you got a channel and just do 10 solid designs and you can stock up on those 10 now you figure you know maybe that is like four or five hundred dollars upfront costs but that's what maybe what you need to get off the ground and then maybe you you just do something through viral so you just buy facebook ads or you pay for twitter uh to pay through twitter to promote your tweets which just sounds like a tongue twister um but you know find cheap ways to advertise essentially use word of mouth you know have the business cards made up you know maybe with a promoting with pictures a couple designs on the business card you know get that out there hand them out to people give them away for free you know maybe it's worth taking a hit of your inventory which could be two hundred dollars worth of inventory and just hand it out for free but along with a business card or with the caveat that the person gets that t-shirt for free but the t-shirt has your logo or your you know your marketing reference so that it links back to you somehow to help drive business back to your website you know you know i would say you're building um you're trying to build this brand and i think that's the the last part of this puzzle is is to build a brand around your t-shirt business or whatever your business is even your antique business or you know you're selling random clearance crap business you know, you're, you're essentially trying to build that brand so that there's some some level of, of brand recognition that you're going to be able to continue into the future having customers that are just going to come through virally, you know, organically without having to do a lot of, of marketing in a traditional sense and without having to buy ads. But even paying for Google AdWords, you know, you can pay for for ads to show up in, in the search engine results, but that, that can get out of hand and that can get expensive really quick if you're not careful and you don't know what you're doing. Uh, I'd say do some research in it and definitely put caps, definitely put spending limits on anything that you do, even on Twitter or Facebook. Say, I'm only willing to spend $50 a day and you figure out right away how to put that spending limit on there because it will eat through your budget faster than you can even blink. You could potentially... If you don't do it correctly, blow through $50 in a minute with the way that online advertising works. So you definitely want to be conscious of that and aware of that and think through some kind of strategy for handling that. But that is an option for a side hustle, probably one of the more complicated ones. You might want to just start off with going to tag sales and buying stuff for 5 bucks and trying to sell it for 25 bucks on Etsy. But, you know, that's up to you. So I wanted to share this information with the listeners, with you guys who are listening right now. 
and appreciate you listening again. Um, this is Finding Your Identity. If you didn't remember from when I mentioned that this was Finding Your Identity when this first started, I am still trying to work with uh, the Secret Service, FBI, CIA, Homeland Security, all those all those big departments to track people down who are not listening. I'm still trying to figure out a game plan for that. Right now, that's my side hustle. Figure out who's not listening so I can find you and make you listen and then cross you off the list and then move down the list to get more listeners. But we also have our Twitter uh, our Twitter account, <laughs> which is FY underscore identity, which is a way to actually reach out to us. So you can comment on the episodes or provide feedback. I do want to start talking to other people to find out ideas for the show or to find people who may be interested in being interviewed or or coming on to the show to talk and tell their stories about how they found their identity. We also have YouTube, which is Finding Your Identity Podcast, which you can watch some of the videos. This is being recorded right now as we speak when I'm recording with a little bit of an unedited feel to the videos you can kind of see some behind the scenes like i'll hit stop on this and thank everybody and then i'll just like you know throw in a joke or something or say something just insensitive you know politically incorrect but but you wouldn't know because you're just listening to the podcast you're not watching the video so i kid i kid but thanks again for listening and until next time i'm signing off